morning. I want to start us this morning by reading a few scriptures, uh, one that we'll preach this morning, but one, one scripture has guided our summer. Do y'all remember it? We gave out signs with this very scripture on it. <laughs> it's printed. You've taken it on vacation with you. You've held it up on Mount Elbert and in front of uh, Big Bend, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a scripture that's been guiding our summer, and it is... Yes, okay. It is tradition in our church that when we read John, the book of John, the Gospels, from the pulpit, that we all do stand. So if you'll stand with me, I'd like to, us to start by just reciting together this famous passage, famous for a reason, John three sixteen. So let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Thank you. You may be seated. And I want to read for us today the passage that we'll be looking at. It's found at the end of Romans 8, and it's this great crescendo for Paul. It's a summary statement, a summary celebration. Um, some say it's just celebrating the summary of Romans 8 as a chapter. Some say it's all the first half of Romans 1 through 8. Uh, most scholars agree that it's probably at least celebrating 5 through 8. But no matter how you read it, it is Paul at a height using this rhetoric to convince us, convey us, he wants us to know and believe that God really does love us. And so with that, let me read this for you, verses 31 through 39. And if you have your scripture in front of you, I'm reading the NIV, but we'll also have it on the screens. Let me get to it. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not along, he, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither Death, nor life, angels, or demons, the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So we've already begun today by rooting ourselves in some of the strongest scriptures in the Bible. And we're rooting ourselves in this strong truth that our lives as ones that are in Christ are defined by the love of God. God loves us, he justifies us, and in Christ that changes our life. Now the last few months when I've come up to give the greeting or the offertory prayer, I've kind of joked that I ought to just give the people what they want, yes? And what might that be? 
photos of my triplets. Yes, that's right. And so if you've been around here at all um, in the last bit, or if you haven't, let me introduce myself. My name is Katie Hodges. I'm the Minister of Congregational Life. I serve our church in the role of pastoral care and other things. And last November, my husband Ryan and I welcomed triplet boys into the world, and they are now eight months old. Can you believe it? Church? I know. We can, sure, we can clap for them. They turned eight on, eight months on Friday. So I have brought with me uh, a few of, you know, life around here lately. So, okay, this is Jack. Jack spilled his sweet potatoes. And there's all three. Sam on the bottom is about to do a body slam on Jack. That's what's happening with his little feet. And it's Ben staring at you. And we've got, that's, uh, that's 4th of July, full family pick. All three, yes, our three guys. Jack, Ben, Sam, there's Ben. And Sam, there you go. So I was trying to be magnanimous and fair to each of them so they each got their own shot as well as the group shots. I'm learning that parenting is about fairness and I'm trying my best, so I'm doing it. Um, all that to say, uh, Paul, Paul's talking about the love of God and this, if we believe this truth that God loves us uh, in a way that can't separate us, it's, it's really a life-changing truth, uh, life-changing love. And Ryan and I have experienced one aspect of life-changing love. There are a lot of loves in our lives that can change us. Uh, it doesn't have to be parenting and children. Um, there's relationships, romantic, that can change us. There are friendships that change our life. I think sometimes even hobbies or passions, we love them so much that they change us. Um, Ryan Hodges roots for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And look at, there's some guns up behind you, yeah. Um, he t and I'm not sure if it's for the better or for the worse, but his love of Texas Tech has changed his life. <laughs> and, and, it, and it takes a lot of hours of our Saturdays and often ends in sadness. So, okay, anyway. <laughs> Um, it's true though, y'all know. Okay, um, there, are, there are many loves that change our life and Ryan and I, um, these boys, they're, they're truly our pride and our joy and they've shown us a lot about sacrificial love of a parent and certainly as we read scriptures about the sacrificial love of our father, um, we know that in a new way. And this is the love that, that Paul is celebrating in Romans 8 he speaks of it in these beautiful rhetorical questions. He's asking questions where the answer has to be no or no one. He says it like this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? Who is the one that condemns? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul reminds us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. But as N.T. Wright states in his commentary on Romans, he says there's a long line of candidates that can try. There's a long line of candidates waiting to give it a shot to separate us from the love of God. Paul names 17 potential threats in what I just read. 17 potential ways we can be separated from the love of God. He says, not trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, life, angels, demons, present, future, any power, height or depth, or anything else in all creation. I'm not sure he meant it to be an all-encompassing list, but when you put something like anything else in all creation, it becomes pretty all-encompassing. But for Paul, on the whole, he is naming experiences that he has been through. Tribulation, hardship, 
persecution. We know that about Paul. Famine, nakedness, danger. I don't know that Paul ever had an encounter with the sword, but he got stoned. And so he is naming things that he has experienced deeply. And my point here is that Paul is not just naming bad things. He's using his own experience and he's saying, I've lived it and none of these things can separate us from God's love. None of this trouble can keep me from experiencing the love of God in Christ. And it's true for Paul then and it's true for us today. But when we look around our world, I think we could make our own list of 17. What are the troubles around you and me that can keep us from feeling the love of God? What are the things around you that make you think in the stillness of your heart? Is God really for me? Paul says at the end of this, I am convinced. What makes you think, hmm, I'm not so convinced? There is plenty that might make you think this, that might make you doubt the presence of the love of God in your life. I think we could all fill in the blank and confess that there are some things that make it difficult to see God. I made a list of 17 that I think could affect you, me, the world around us. I'll run through them. Financial insecurity, relational brokenness, social media comparison, that can help you forget that you're loved or worthy of love. Comparison in general, estrangement, sickness, addiction, loneliness, unanswered prayers, economic instability, aging parents, hurting children. Ryan reminded me that it's hard to believe for some people that they see another land war in Europe going on right now. My personal experience, uh, the text dot construction on I-35 and I-20 <laughs> makes me question the love of God. And then, as the old country songs say, my, my wife left me, my dog died, and my truck won't start. These are all things that keep us wondering, is God really for us? With all this going on in our life, it just doesn't feel like God is for me. It can feel like the old saying, with friends like these, who needs enemies? With a God, like, with a God that's for us, if this is God for us, then maybe we don't need anything else against us. And I think it's reasonable to feel this way. I think you can sit in the pew and hear the crescendo of Paul's celebratory remarks, and you can think, that's not me today. But today I am coming alongside Paul and I am saying, yes, God is for you and there is nothing that can be against you. And here's why. For Paul, he learned that the love of God was not about his circumstances. And having access to the love of God did not change every outcome for him. But it still managed to change him. The love of God is not about our circumstances. Having access to the love of God does not change every outcome, but it can change us. N.T. Wright puts it this way, for Paul, after he experiences all these things, as he says, love was not then an abstract theological term, but it was for him an experienced fact. As Joey said earlier, it was our firm foundation. Paul has been through so much by the time he writes Romans that he can say, I have experienced all of this and I know 
that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. If we're not careful, as Western Christians, we can have the mindset that if things aren't going well, then God's love is not on display. But we must remember that through the scriptures, it's actually suffering that unites us with Jesus. Suffering was the Jesus way. It's where we find him with clarity and conviction and depth that we cannot know otherwise. I mentioned earlier that Ryan and I have had this truly wild and unique year of being pregnant with and then birthing triplets. Um, and I know when I talk about this and I'm gonna talk about our, our difficulty, it lands with people in all kinds of ways. So we're gonna talk about some hard parts in our life and I know that can land with y'all in, in deep and hurtful ways and so uh, I want you to know that as I go into this. Um, it's beautiful to get up here and share them with you. We are grateful to God every single day for our church family and also the health of our children. Um, but when we celebrate the joy of this new birth, I'll say it is the tip of the iceberg of our life when it comes to how difficult and complex the last few years have been for us, starting with a few years of infertility, then the question of what do we do now to become parents, and then a surprising triplet pregnancy. I went through a lot of emotion personally, feeling like my life was going to be completely over when I found out we were gonna have triplets. That, is, that was people say, what was your first reaction? And mine was, well, my life is over. <laughs> and so far it's been pretty true. <laughs> Just kidding, uh, I love my life. Um, my pregnancy wasn't easy, although for triplets I am very grateful. Um, we had a very traumatic and sudden delivery and then six weeks at the NICU, and I will say I have memorized every square inch of MCA, Medical City Arlington Women's Unit. Um, I've stayed the night on every floor. I know a lot of the nurses by name, and I have their cell phone number. It's a great place, and I don't want to go back. Um, <laughs> But Ryan and I have struggled not only to accept help, but even to ask for help after years of being independent helpers. We are the ones that show up when people need things. Now we are being recipients of that help. All that to say, there have been patches in this season where I myself have questioned, is this really God for me? Is this really what God has for me? Where is the love of God displayed in my life right now? And I will say this, this season has tenderized me. I don't love that graphic image of like a butcher tenderizing meat, but when I think about my life with God in the last 18 months, blow by blow, I have been softened in ways that I would not have chosen. And it's where I find that God has sustained me, his love has not left me. He didn't take all my suffering away, but he has met me in it, and he has provided everything I need to get through it, and he is still doing that today. And this is the gospel, that God in Christ meets us in our suffering and he is united with us. It's where we find the fruit of the Spirit at work in our life to make us more like Jesus. And like Paul, we get to testify to the experienced fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So where is this love of God when we need it? 
It's present in the comfort, companionship, steadfastness, and peace that only God can offer. So we can say too, when life falls in around us, like Paul at the end of Philippians, I have learned the secret to being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. N.T. Wright puts it like this, when these trials are faced and this God is known in the midst of them to be reliable, powerful, and above all loving, this is when one may expect to hear the shout of genuine Christian joy. Amen. But there's another part to this. There's another part to this scripture. The love of God is not just a here and now grace for today reality. There is more to this text than just God's love that conquers our hardship in this present day. It also points to the coming age where all of this will be conquered forever and for good. We're reminded in verse 33 that it is God who justifies. In fact, throughout this passage, there's actually courtroom imagery playing out. This whole text can be read as an end game reality. Who will bring any charges, Paul asks. It's God who justifies. Who then could condemn? It takes us to the judgment day. I married into a family of lawyers. Ryan's mom is a lawyer. He has uncles and cousins that are lawyers. I've heard more legal speak in the last eight or so years of my life than I ever have before. I'm not that good at it, but I'm learning how to at least keep up in conversation. Uh, Ryan's mom has the Law and Order theme song as her ringtone. <laughs> she loves it, and it's a good show. Now I know this, it's a good show. Uh, but she comes to our house often to help with the babies, and so echoing throughout our house is on Saturdays primarily, the Law and Order theme song mingled with Baby Einstein and this little Sesame Street Elmo play toy that our boys have. And so kind of when I lay down at night, I can hear these two things playing out. Dun, 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 dun. Elmo, la, 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 la. <laughs> Just weaving them together. When I think about kind of recent pop culture and a law room scene, I think of Where the Crawdads Sing. Did anyone read that book? Did anyone watch the movie? I've not seen the movie. I've only read the book. I won't spoil it because as I thought about it, it's only been out five years. And I think from the pulpit, we should give you at least 10 before we spoil things. So Lord of the Rings, you gotta read it. Next week, somebody could spoil it. Star Wars, you know, all the classics, they're out. But Where the Crawdads Sing came out in 2018. You've got five more years before I personally spoil it for you from the stage. So with that, there is a courtroom scene though. And the main character, um, Kaya, she's on trial and she's accused of murdering someone. So I did spoil that part. Um, She's a social outcast. She's accused of killing kind of a socialite guy on top. This lawyer represents her pro bono because he hears about her story. And when, when he meets alone with her in her cell and he thinks that she might not get a favorable verdict, she tr he tries, lawyer Tom tries to convince her to take a plea deal. And he says, he puts it like this when he tries to persuade her. He says, if you lose, you lose big. And so it is with us. We've spent this summer in here talking about eternity. Dr. Wiles has preached on both heaven and hell. And we know that if we lose, we lose big. But for those of us in Christ, the verdict is very, very good. Thanks be to God that in this courtroom, in Romans 8, God is the judge, Jesus is our advocate, and Christ is our justifier. 
that takes the punishment on our behalf. With a case like this, strike the gavel, take the deal. If God is for us in this scenario, who can be against us? Paul is painting a picture here of final judgment with this imagery. God has justified us and we cannot be condemned. When Paul uses the word justification in Romans, the word's full of meaning. It's a big word for Romans. Dr. Tim Mackey, he's the professor behind the Bible Project. Have any of y'all watched the videos? If you're ever trying to get your mind around a book of the Bible and you're not quite sure, if you're a visual learner, the Bible Project has, I think they've done every book of the Bible in a video series and it helps you understand the core message of it. So there's a professor behind that, he's a PhD in Old Testament named Tim Mackey. And Tim Mackey talks about justification in these three ways. He says, when we are justified, as Paul might say in Romans, we get these three things. We get a new status, we get a new family, and we get a new future. So your new status is that you are now right with God and forgiven. It's kind of what I was talking about in the first half of this. You get to walk through life knowing God and being forgiven by him. You're also introduced into a new family. You're no longer defined by the family system that you came out of. You enter into the long genealogy of the family of God and you're adopted in. And the third, what we're talking about right now, is that you get a new future. You have a transformed hope of your eternity and your eternal life. Paul puts it this way earlier in Romans in chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of glory of God. This is what Dr. Wiles has helped us know as inaugurated eschatology. By that we mean there are parts of God's kingdom that we're already experiencing here and now. And then it will be all be brought to completion when Jesus returns. You're already made right with God. And in the end, you will be completely made right with God. And you will live in that existence for all eternity. God has made an eternal commitment to be with us. Think about that. Are you really that lovable, that likable for the God of the universe to want to make an eternal commitment to be with you? He wants to be with you forever. This is the love from which we cannot be separated because it's dependent on the character of the giver, not the worthiness of the recipient. If you think you don't deserve the God who created heaven and earth to know you and to love you, you are right according to the scriptures. You do not deserve it, but it does not depend on you. It depends on the trustworthiness and the sacrifice of Jesus and the steadfastness of God's character. Before we go, I wanna discuss one last thing, and you might be listening to this today in here or online, and you think to yourself something like, that sounds great for Paul, and that sounds great for you, and that sounds great for the deacons of First Baptist Arlington, but how do I get there? I want to know the love of God as an experienced fact. I want to know that I'm justified, that I belong, that I have eternally secured my lot. Before I say this, I want to say we are, we're inundated in our Christian lives, excuse me, just our lives. I have an Instagram account and the algorithm works against me, right? Kara, our social media manager, um, really believes that we can use the algorithm for good. The algorithm and the Holy Spirit can put content in front of people 
Well, there are, there are forces not as holy. I have Instagram. It has algorithms. It markets things to me with precision. And it tries to sell me a lifestyle that if I only buy this product, then I'll be happy, I'll be beautiful, I'll have all the things I ever wanted, and my life will be good. All of marketing does this. Commercials nowadays really don't even hold up the product that they want you to buy. They just show beautiful people living their best life now, and if you buy this perfume, you will be beautiful, you'll have a great life, you'll get the girl, you'll make the shot, you'll make the championship, so just buy our fragrance, right? And then what happens? You go buy the fragrance and you're still you, you just smell differently. <laughs> this is... So when I'm talking to you about how do you become more like us, not that have it all together, we're certainly not a group of beautiful people, I think there might be churches like that that exist, but I live life with y'all. We're real people living real life trying to find Jesus. So when I stand up here and I say, your life can be transformed, one, we don't want you to buy anything. It's a free gift. And we actually believe this is the only thing that might be able to change your life. So I want to say this as we conclude. If you are not yet a, confess a confessing Christian, that's where you start. If you've been considering this, or you've come to the realization that you've never gone all in with Jesus as Lord, this is where you start. You accept these truths to be true, you confess it to God, and you begin right there. We can talk you through that into, into this service, and we would enjoy doing that. But for many of us here, we've done that. We've confessed Jesus as Lord. But we also realize that we don't always live as if it's true. Dr. Wiles introduced us to the language of first floor living at the beginning of the summer. This is the idea that we live our day-to-day -day lives forgetting that there is a second floor in our building, metaphorically. That of the higher realm or the spiritual order, our ancestors would have done a much better job integrating their spiritual life into their day-to-day -day life. But we can get stuck living as if there's no greater reality in our day-to-day -day life. And then we forget that we're different, that we're loved by God, that he's made us more than conquerors of everything around us, so how often do we walk through each day really believing that we are beloved, redeemed, children of God? So we, First Baptist, we as God's people need to adopt some practices that help keep this transcendent reality in front of us. We each do. And I'm asking you to do some honest assessment. As we look toward a new school year and all the rhythm, rhythms that it brings and all the busyness that it brings. What needs to be protected in your life and in your family's life so that you can experience the love of God this year? What needs to be abandoned? What was sufficient for a season, but now you need to let it go in order to maintain and grow your relationship with the love of God? N.T. Wright phrases it this way. Learning to look at the cross and see there the strong evidence of how much one is loved is among the most basic and vital Christian disciplines, matched by opening one's heart and life to the tidal wave of that love, displacing all rivals. The mind is to learn, and the heart is to know in experience the love of Christ which passes knowledge. This is the life in Christ we all want, and I challenge us today to make the decisions now that will get you where you wanna be in your life knowing that God is for you and that he loves you.
May it be so. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that although we know these things to be true, that we believe theologically that you love us, that nothing can separate us from you, and that your love changes everything and colors everything in our life. Even though we believe those things, God, we confess that it's hard to keep our eyes on those. It's hard to walk through the hard things in our life believing that you are Lord. And so, God, I pray for us that we could evaluate and determine what we need to do in this season to be your people, to keep our eyes on you, to take on or let go of practices which might help us see you better. And so, God, I pray for this time that we might evaluate how we can move closer to you and that we might give more and more of ourselves to you and your kingdom so we can be your people here in Arlington. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.